We are the Coin Boys, your average everyday crypto bros. That's right. It's Andy, aka producer by the way, or producer BTW on Twitter. And sitting next to me is actually Aaron, aka Crypto Sanity. At Sanity Crypto on Twitter. And then we have Daniel Gutierrez. At D Gutierrez on Twitter. Eighty four with the uh, with the numbers there at the end. So obviously, uh, we have a really cool episode because it's event oriented. Uh, I attended uh, Games Beat uh, that was put on by Venture Beat, which is a networking panel oriented, really cool uh, gaming community event, and a lot of big developers and publishers and all cu- types of people in the industry uh, communicating, networking, making deals, and watching awesome panels. So we'll get to that later, but. Uh, I just wanted to start at the top and just catch up with you guys. So, how you doing, guys? Decent. I'm pretty good. And okay. we're, uh, I was mentioning earlier, avoiding spoilers because I cannot. Right, because we have uh, we have two things going on, right? Yeah. And my big rant was seriously. There's Game of Thrones out. There's Endgame out right now. Can people just not blab on the internet for 48 hours and ruin it for people who can't watch it live? Now, come on. This will be a no spoiler. I'm going to say until at least the next weekend. Before the new one comes out of Game of Thrones, and by the time new movies come out next okay. week, next week. So we're talking about Game of Thrones and, of course, Endgame, Avengers Endgame. Uh, two big yeah, things. So what podcast is this? This is <laughs> the Coin Boys. Oh, okay, sorry. But we're ca- we're catching up. Uh, I did see Endgame, and I've done a really good job on Twitter not giving away any. Spo- I actually do tweets that are like no spoilers, no spoilers. I'm having fun with that, but I uh, I will say I enjoyed it. Uh, and that's all I'll say. Yeah. Um, so you better say. That's all I will say. Quiet. Um, anyway, we have a very, uh, very detail-oriented show. Uh, I got to interview a lot of people at GamesBeat and get a kind of perspective of what that was about. But a lot of things happen in crypto. Daniel, let's yeah. do a little block news. We weren't we going to, to be honest, uh, because that's how much GamesBeat's uh, news we have. But. Two huge things happened in crypto for the first time in a long time, and they were legitimate things. Okay. Uh, one, Sanity actually knows a little bit more. So, Aaron, the floor is yours. Oh, yes. Uh, Bitfinex, a uh, very large exchange from Hong Kong operating in the U.S. Then it got found out by, via a report that apparently they, air quotes, hid the fact that they lost $850 million and covered it up with Tether. Now... Uh, it's it, immediately this all came out and it was like huge FUD. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And then Bitcoin starts to drop just uh, actually a little bit. I expected a bigger drop than it did. Then later Bitfinex does a, a release, basically a press release saying, no, 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 that's not what they're saying. We had funds seized. We weren't necessarily hiding anything. So it's, and that's, you know, you're hearing that straight from Bitfinex. There's only so much I can believe there. I didn't read the report myself. It still seems pretty insane. 850 million dollars is nothing to scoff at see here's a, here's my question when it, uh, I, I was confused because they did release that statement saying that they, that it was frozen that, the, that they're frozen they're still there but they're frozen um and they're blaming new york for it they're blaming the states for it wouldn't there be something to prove that that the, that the united states actually froze something couldn't there couldn't we check it out um i just feel like there's this is an easy one to kind of figure out if it's true or not so wait, I'm confused. So uh, not so confused, but this is still speculation, or we don't know the answers, or or it was proven that the tether, they hid this money behind tether. Yes, oh, my God, a stable coin. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so it's bad news for tether, which is actually good news because uh, not a lot of people. Really well, there was tether. always a lot of red flags with tether. Yeah. Um, so okay, well, 
what's happening now with that? Uh, we're still waiting for the money to come back. Okay. So for those of you out there who are in Bitfinex limbo, uh, I'm sorry. But this is also one of the things that, that is just bound to happen over well, time. Well, Bitfinex also sounds a lot like BitConnect. Oh, what's up? But what's up? Uh, what else is going on? That's great. Good so news. That's the, uh, bad news. That's the bad, the, the, bad good that's news. That's good bad news. Yep. Uh, then here's some bad good news, I guess. Uh, E-Trade. <laughs> bad, bad good news. <laughs> yeah. Okay. E-Trade is actually going to start uh, allowing for people to trade uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Now, the reason why I really like this and the reason why I'm even mentioning this, because normally we would just kind of let this, we've heard about big companies signing on to do this and this and that, but it's never really been of note or of value. But this is the first time where I've heard that uh, they're actually going to let you trade the coins. You're going to actually have ownership of your crypto, whereas opposed to other things like Robinhood, where you just, they hold it for you and you just can look at it, kind of sort of so to speak. So uh, this is legit. And E-Trade is huge. I think somebody put up the numbers on Reddit and it's like, like 10, 15 times bigger than like uh, um, Coinbase's trading, uh, the amount traded uh, on any given moment. So if you can bring a little bit of that into crypto, that's great. I mean, that's also good for, uh, it's also going to be interesting to see how, how easy it is for people to learn how to use crypto. Uh, and see what what E-Trade will do to kind of make it easier for them to understand it. So I'm excited to see how they bring in the public. Hey, I think it's great news, honestly. Again, it's whatever on-ramp is easiest to get the average consumer in. And if people are already trading in whatever risky assets they want to trade in, if they want to get involved because they already have an E-Trade account, fantastic if you want to get new money in. Okay. Well, uh, but again, this is cool because they're actually... People can own it, so since they can own it, they have to learn how to use private keys. They have to learn how to use seeds and wallets and all the other stuff in order for them to properly own their own their crypto. So if E-Trade can teach the public, that that, that education is going to be key. How they do it, how they, because they're going to have a network of people that, that is untapped when it comes down to crypto. I'm assuming largely untapped when it comes down to crypto, hopefully. We'll, okay. Time will tell. We'll see. Time will tell. So busy, busy, busy in the crypto space uh, in the last couple of days, huh? Well, it was a couple of big things at least. So okay. had to take some mention. Had to mention. And of course, uh, we've kind of changed our style. We are including a little bit of block news and if we have it, an in-depth interview. But this is a little different. We have an event that I attended on behalf of uh, the Coin Boys. Uh, it was uh, what's called... Um, uh, Games Beat Summit, which is exactly what it is. A summit is usually, you know, where there's panels. Uh, of course, we went to CIS, Crypto Invest Summit, but this was very similar style, uh, two stages. Um, and in gaming fashion, the smaller stage was the hero stage and the bigger stage was the boss stage. So those were the two names of the stages. thought that was clever and fun. And it was at 2-Bit Circus in Los Angeles, which is a brand new uh, kind of, I don't know how to explain it. It's like... It's a, uh, a carnival arcade, <laughs> carnival theme. Yeah, there's a robot mi mixologist, by the way. A robot can make drinks there. I'm not joking. It, it. I'm, I'm not even joking. I don't like that as a bartender for eight years. You can't. Do you have to up. tip it? Uh, you. Well, there's a human has to help the bartender. In Bitcoin. But uh, you know, pass on the drink. But it, it does mix the drink. But it's this really cool place. Um, that turns out to be, I think partially or i think the whole place is owned by the bushnells which are a famous family uh his name is brent bushnell he's the son of uh, uh the bushnells uh, nolan bushnell no, yeah oh. uh, uh from atari and Phil bushnell? oh that okay got it yes uh and uh actually back in the 
the McAfee episode, he talked about that he was friends with him. So it's kind of came full circle because, first of all, I grew up playing my first memory of video games goes back to the 2600 on Atari. I mean, it does go further back, but that's really where I remember I was I held the joystick. The Atari joystick for a kid that was maybe four or five years old was really simple. It's just the 2600 had the stick and the button. That was it. One button, one and button, a stick. and a stick. That's all you so a kid was able to kind of. If kids can swipe iPhones, you know, back then that was my iPhone. You know, I was like, oh, cool, I can do this. Well, that's you when know? video games were inclusive for everybody. Video yeah. games were very simple, even in the arcade days. It's literally when we started adding multiple buttons and started raising the skill level that we started to lose the general public. Yeah, but any, anyway, but it's coming back, baby. Amazing event from uh, you know panels with the uh, the Microsoft engineer behind the adaptive controller uh, to uh, a panel with uh, venture capitalists that talked about investing into video games, the future of esports, uh, or the MLG panel where the one of the guys who started MLG, the two guys that helped kind of get esports in America going, and they talked a lot, uh, but. Basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw to these short interviews we did with just a bunch of people. I was, you know, just asking if they'd be interested in doing some, uh, you know, just asking about the event, about what they do, because, I, you know, you know me, I'm super curious. You're at this kind of event. You want to network and meet people. It was great to interview people and also get to know what they're doing in the space. Now, before you get into those interviews, though, yeah. I want what are some of the highlights from the thing? Because I saw you with Brecky in yeah, a virtual reality it. situation. Yeah, so... Uh, they gave us all free cards to play games, and we were allowed to play VR, of course. And So much jealousy. This was, like, right when we walked in. It wasn't crowded, so I felt like it was okay. Uh, and basically, uh, shout out to Brecky. It was awesome. Uh, basically, uh, we just, like, had a great time. We went right to this zombie VR game, and you're literally, like, trapped in a room that looks like a futuristic sci-fi world, and you're in, like, this circle, and you can't move, but... You're basically defending against zombies coming at you, and uh, Brecky was screaming. I just hear him screaming, and you could be, you're on mic too, so I could hear him. I'm like, I got you, I got you. He's like, ah, ah. Oh man! We actually on posted. Blast. Yeah, so that was cool. I thought it was cool that uh, not only did they have VR, but it had a mar a modern arcade twist. So there were some games I've never seen before that are brand new modern arcade machines. And, there's a, and that just goes to show you, there's this new kind of wave of the arcade. Like the arcade's coming back. And there's games, there's a game there, I forgot the, uh, forgive me, I forgot the name, but it, you, can, you have to license it. It can only be in three cities. And it's only allowed to be mm. in the arcade. Pretty, pretty interesting. So that's really unique. I was wondering if because I have talked to you places like uh, Round One was one of my favorite arcades, and that actually mimics a Japanese game center. And they they have games imported that aren't even translated, but they're rhythm games. It so. kind of had that feel. It was but like that, a Japanese arcade. Yeah, but that's what I'm always wondering. I need to see Two Bit Circus myself now because seeing modern day arcades come back uh, at a, a Western style or from Western companies is a totally new thing, and I would be completely. Uh, happy to see a lot of that. Okay, so the game I believe is called yeah Killer Queen. It's a it's pretty much a ten player game. So five v five. There's two hmm. s two sides to it, right? And it's really simple. You just got to get you either you just building up your hive. I forget exactly, but you could either kill their queen. And I don't know. It's really crazy and hard to Almost explain. Almost has like a joust look to it. Very much so. Oh, it, good throwback. It had a it had a feel. It had a feel. So. 
things like this was at game speed, but this was an event using a space that made complete sense for the event because it had a bar. You could order drinks all day. They had some free dessert. They had like Jam City was giving out sunglasses. Like it was pretty cool. Uh, also, we're going to get into some interesting technology things I saw, like pretty involved. Now, r- really quickly, is um, what is the point of games? Are they trying to show what's going to happen in the next year or are they trying to highlight it's a new building, feature? It's completely like a building networking and they say it's Games Beat Summit uh, building gaming communities. So it's just a bring together uh, all types of people from uh, from developers to publishers to people that are involved in marketing. Uh, very serious. It's not like E3. This is not a consumer event. This is, you know... People can make deals at this event, and I I could tell. Sounds like early E3, actually. Yeah, yeah, and dude, there was this wasn't a ton of people, and it was cool because the two days I went, I saw all these people, and got to meet people, and and not only did I do some media there for us and Coin Boys, but I enjoyed just meeting people. That there were some people that didn't want to get interviewed, but they I was like immediately like, okay, no problem, but tell me what you're doing here, and and we talked. You know, even though we didn't want to interview, I still was curious what they're doing. That's what it's all about. That's what this event was. Building the community. And how do you build? By networking, right? So, yeah. And per- the panels sounded good. Yeah. Oh, the panels were excellent. Excellent. Um, I, 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 I was pretty much like, the, first of all, the production value was good. They, the, uh, you know, the, the setup, they had hosts that were really good doing the panels. Some interesting questions. Definitely did the homework. Uh, we go to a lot of these crypto panels. And... That's why it's hard to get excited about panels because yeah. sometimes I sit through and I'm always interested. Oh, the video games and crypto and blockchain games, and I'll sit there and sometimes I'm like, "Oh my gosh, we're not all programmers, bro." Or it's you know just something they're talking about gambling all the time. Like, no, talk about actual gaming. So. But what's interesting too is that what's cool is that they recognize blockchain. So there were there were a few blockchain panels from uh, great news. Brock Pierce, who actually I must say, and we'll get to it, was one of the best blockchain panels. He was. He, they asked him the right questions. And why? Because mm-hmm. totally gaming-oriented. The right people are asking the right questions, right? To gamers. Um, uh, but anyway, um, if you guys are interested, I could throw to the first interview, and we could just get this, this yeah, ball rolling. Uh, so it. actually, I wanted to get someone that was a part of the event, and I was, I was there on the second day, and I watched uh, Mike Minotti do an opening kind of that pretty much he's, he's the uh, reviews editor at GameSpeed and very much involved. Uh, and he did the open for the next day. He was a part of it, and he did a nice speech, really cool. Uh, talked about some of his history. But a really cool guy, definitely a hardcore gamer. And he kind of introduce, introduces us to what, what they're doing, what it's about, because you asked about that, Daniel. So we got it from someone that works with them. So here is Mike Minotti. Gosh, game, so VentureBeat has been around, I don't, you know, probably over a decade now. And then GamesBeat was just Dean Takahashi for really, uh, for a few years. And it was about like 2012, I think, that they acquired a company called BitMob, which was run by Dan Shu, used to be editor-in-chief at EGM. And its whole thing was community-submitted stories. And I was just one of the people submitting stories. And that turned into being an internet BitMob. Then BitMob got bought by uh, VentureBeat. So then GamesBeat suddenly had a staff, and I was an intern there. Then part-time, full-time, reviews editor. I'm, like, real lucky in the uh, video game journalism industry. I've been, like, on the same track for, like, a decade. Uh, so how old is the event? Because this is my first time coming. So how long is it? How long have we been doing GamesBeat? 
Oh my gosh, I wish I knew exactly. It's been, I, it's guy, it might almost be 10 years too, I think, because I think he was doing it even a little bit before I came in. Wow, okay, so let's talk about what what is the focus of an event like this. I know, obviously, what I'm seeing is a lot of networking focus, uh, and of course, the panels, which actually I think are pretty excellent. I watched the Xbox engineer talk about the adaptive controller on the hero stage. Wow, because that was really interesting. But tell me about, like, what's the culture like here? What's the importance of this event for the industry itself? So, you know, networking, like you said, I think is a giant part of it. It is just this event where, you know, you can have, you can walk around and you can be like, oh, there's Mike Morheim or, you know, there's Tommy Tallarico or Vince Sampala, all these really interesting things like that, right? But, you know, beyond that, I think it's a chance for, you know, other people and maybe people who aren't necessarily at the very top of the industry to come in meet these people, learn from them, see what's going on. And, you know, I, what I like about this year is that the theme isn't quite as maybe one track as sometimes it is. Like, I remember a couple of years ago, right, when everybody was talking about VR, it was it was sometimes feel like even our talks were dominated by VR, right? And so now it's like, and it was something I was trying to get at to uh, a speech I opened up the second day with a bit, how we can't get one tracked like that. There's just, there's so many avenues now, right? There's, you know, I mean, there's AR, sure, but there's, you know, we have the new consoles coming. I was excited about that. Cloud gaming is becoming a thing. I, it, I think it's great, obviously, because this is my first time here. I've met so many people. And of course, you guys are at 2-Bit Circus, which is brand new. And I know that the Bushnells kind of own this place. And if anyone knows that name, it's Atari. So what do you feel about, let's talk about the venue this year, because I think it's cool. It's really neat, right? I didn't, like, I wasn't exactly sure what to expect. They called it a, what, micro amusement park. And it's, it's to me, it's almost more like a like nicer arcade, right? Like it's not like it's not like a Dave and Buster's exactly, right? You're not getting tickets or something like that. And like the games are very interesting. Uh, some of them like I've never a lot of these I've never seen anywhere. And then there's like some of them are like physical. Like there's ones with like trains, and it's not a screen. There's actual trains going by. Uh, I do have one question because obviously today is there's a, I think two panels that are blockchain focused. So I have to ask you, what do you know about crypto and how do you what do you know about it helping the gaming industry? So crypto, man, that's I'm a skeptic a little bit still. You know, I'm still oh, I'm still kind of on the side of you know how far I was saying kind of how I am about a lot of these things. Like even cloud gaming, I'm still so cynical about that even, and I I'm a little bit there with blockchain and crypto, I think they still have a lot of kind of winning over to do. You know, they're, they're, they've done a good job of being a buzzword, that's for sure, right? And we're, we do definitely have talks about it. But again, it's not something that we're letting dominate things. No, and it's funny you mention that, and I want to give you some perspective real quick. Uh, I go to some crypto events. Uh, there's something uh, similar where they do, they're doing gaming blockchain panels with, there was one and there were no gaming people. It was all uh, uh, video game gambling. And I was like, this isn't a gaming blockchain panel. And I, I think that today, though, because it's not the focus here, I bet you the panels that you guys are going to have for crypto blockchain, which I'm obviously going to be attending, are going to be really informative and interesting. And that's kind of the thing, right? Like, they've done a good job getting the business people really excited about blockchain. But, you know, the people who are playing Fortnite and Apex Legends, they understand the impact that that can have in their kind of games, Right, like they're a little excited about it. Do they even understand it? So there's a communication problem. I guess out of that, before I let you go and get on to the day, because you guys got a busy day, uh, what is one of your favorite games? What game are you playing right now? So my favorite game of all time is Mega Man 3. I'm wearing my adorable little Mega Man t-shirt right now. 
but god that's that is my favorite game one time when I, the one time i was able to beat that game without dying which was the greatest accomplishment of my life compared to the speedrunners it's nothing but i was so excited i busted out this uh the bottle of don perion i had been saving right i was like well i'm not getting married anytime soon or having kids so this will this will do <laughs> So yeah, that was Mike, awesome guy. I actually literally interviewed him right after he did the. He was a part of the opening uh, the second day, on, and he was talking about he, what he said the opening the second day. So I literally was like, "Wow, I, sh- I really need to get this guy. It was really interesting. I liked his speech." Yeah, no, uh, he sounded good. I I'm always shocked when people pick Mega Man. I think I had a bad experience. Mega, with Mega Man Three Man is a classic. <laughs> it is, it is. But I had like I I sucked at it. I was really uh, bad. Well, that's another story. I, and it made me upset because I wanted all the co- all the different uh, suits, and it never happened. Yeah. So uh, yeah, what did you think that? I mean, pretty much close to on the nose of what I said the events about. He was pretty much explaining it's a networking, a chance to meet big people in one little room. You know, with with awesome panels going on as well. Yeah. No. It. Uh I really liked it. I actually liked how uh, you approached him with the crypto thing. I mean, there was some blockchain stuff there. So obviously, you know, it's it was definitely a uh, valid question. And I, I agree with him. I agree that, you know, the word crypto has a lot of a lot behind it when people hear that. So tokenizing and and cryptocurrency enabling games is different than just blockchain games which is something. But that's a whole rabbit hole that these guys even as much as they know, they really have to get into the weeds to even learn what those mean, what the difference between tokenization versus blockchaining something. Yeah, and I figured, uh, I didn't ask everyone that question, but for him it was kind of relevant because he's part of the the group that, like he mentioned, like we're talking about it still. Totally. We have block, like he still understands how important it is to at least have it showcased at an event like that, which I thought was awesome. So um, moving on is actually uh, uh, someone uh, from Lucid's site uh, which is the game company that's dealing with uh, games like MLB Championship uh, Champions, which is a crypto-centric video game, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's Randy, the CEO, uh, which we're actually going to have uh, on the show. We're actually going to go to their offices, uh, and I'm not sure when that episode's going to air, but at least we we'll give you like a sneak peek because I got to talk to them at the event. I'm just going to kind of throw to this guy right now because uh, uh, he pretty much explains what they're doing. And here's Randy, the CEO of Lucid Sight. MLB Champions is a officially licensed uh, game of uh, Major League Baseball. Uh, we have a license with the uh, Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association. What that means is we can uh, show the likenesses of the players in our game, and we're reinventing what a baseball card is for a modern uh, digital native who doesn't want physical tchotchkes, a kid who grows up playing Fortnite. Uh, and we wanted to create the digital scarcity that we had with baseball cards when I was a kid. And the only way to really do that with modern technology is with blockchain. That's the interesting thing. Now, I want to backtrack. How did you get the MLB license? Because when we're dealing with crypto, it's really hard for these big companies to feel okay about that. Is that something that was really difficult to get? Or are they really into the idea of crypto? Well, it's all big mark licenses are difficult to get. But MLB is very, very forward-thinking in terms of technology. Uh, out of a lot of the big mark uh, companies, they're very forward-thinking. And they really wanted to, uh, you know, it's a, it's the quintessential collector's brand. You know, collecting and baseball go hand-in-hand. Hand. This is the 150th anniversary of professional baseball in America. Very few institutions have that kind of history, and collecting has been part of the entire history. But now you have a group of, you know, people who are growing up with crypto and iPhones and they don't live in a physical world anymore. They're living in a digital world. So they were very uh, 
very forward to the concept of, well, what does this look like for the next generation of baseball fans? Uh, how do you collect? How do you create digital scarcity? How do you maintain value in collectibles? So collectibles in our game, uh, we'll sell them anywhere from $7, $5 up to you know $20, depending on the rarity. And these are often reselling in the thousands of dollars. Uh, the, the Yankees and the Dodgers teams have sold for upwards of $90,000. Uh, Bryce Harper uh, sold for $7,000 last season. Uh, we have minted 155,000 collectibles in 2018. We, we don't own those anymore. We can't even sell. We, we can't make more if we wanted to. It's like Bitcoin. There's 21 million. There's 155,000 MLB champions. That's pretty cool. And I'm excited because, first of all, in the cryptocurrency, what I was saying is it's, it's really awesome to hear a big company like the MLB, I mean, 150 years in the business, uh, getting involved in blockchain. And you mentioned it's kind of the in thing. I would say it's a millennial thing to be involved in crypto, so MLB is kind of seeing ahead. What I do want to ask you is, tell me about these other games. I was playing this game here, uh, and if you could just explain these other games that are going to be using the blockchain as well. So we have uh, two other games that we're working on. Uh, one is Cryptic Conjure, and one is CSC. So CSC is a space MMO like EVE Online. Uh, if people who are familiar with EVE Online, it's a economic space exploration crafting game where you fly to a planet, mine resources, craft spaceships, fly further, mine more resources, do battle, uh, and it's all kind of in this economic loop of, of mining and crafting. Well, we said, what would that look like if there was no command and control economy like there is in most video games where there's, you know, basically it's communism where one group owns and controls the entire game. We said, what does it look like if it's more of a free market economy? So we've secured the items of value to the blockchain. The spaceships are ERC-721s. The minerals and ores are ERC-20s. And the crafting is just like a regular space MMO. The graphics are just like a regular space MMO, the gameplay. And quite honestly, you can jump in and start playing it when the game launches on Steam. You don't have to have Ethereum or anything. You can just go start buying spaceships on your, using your Steam account. But when people want to craft and become good at things in the game, they can then resell the stuff, and we can't, we can't stop them. And that's fundamentally what blockchain has added to that game. I did not know what the benefit of, of having one on, on uh, having one and the other was, but uh, Aaron, can you explain to the people why you'd want ERC-20s and ERC-721s uh, in, in a game? Yeah, so uh, basically you're creating these non-fungible tokens, so it becomes assets of yours. As he was even saying, you know, he's like, hey, someone wants to sell their resources, they could sell those resources as a specific NFT. So an ERC-20 is going to be a functional token with a smart contract, all these kind of things. And uh, the way that they're using it is the ERC-721s are the ones that are just like small in-game assets that you just want to be able to trade back and forth. So it's just an attached like, oh, you've got you know, 7,000 iron ore. So it's going to be 7,000 of these ERC-721s that I want to sell for four real dollars on OpenSea.io or something like that. So it's basically just a way for them to literally give people true ownership of their in-game assets. Yeah. Yeah. Love I, it. It was really good. Uh, great interview. Uh, excited to, to do more of an in-depth uh, with them because we are going to be featuring them uh, in a future episode. Uh, next up is... Actually, um, someone I just randomly was just looking around. He looked like an interesting guy. Uh, I reached. I said, "Hey, 
would you like to uh, talk about the event and what you're doing in the community space? And he's like, absolutely. So uh, I'm going to throw to and let Z uh, uh, introduce uh, his company, Serenity Forge. Here's Z. So I'm from Boulder, Colorado. Uh, we are a small video game development and publishing studio out there. Uh, we're 17 people. We focus primarily on PC and console games. Awesome. Is uh, there any particular game that I might, I might have heard of or any games that are out right now? Right, right. So, so I guess the most, uh, I guess most well-known title that we've done in the past is uh, is uh, um, PC title called "Where the Water Tastes Like Wine," which is a narrative uh, adventure game. Uh, so, what brings you to an event like this? And have you been to events like E3 and Gamescom? Yeah, so I've been going to E3 for years, GDC as well, PAX, you know, etc. Uh, haven't been to Gamescom yet, but I will be there this year. I actually really want to go. Haven't been either. <laughs> yeah, so this is actually my first time at GameSpeed, uh, as well as uh, Two Bit Circus over here. Uh, it's been amazing. I really enjoy it. And do you think, like, I actually look around, and this is way more networking focused. Um, and what is the important right the importance right now with networking and gaming and the explosion? Yeah, so for a game developer, especially some something small like ours, you know, we focus on creating uh, meaningful titles that is able to drive culture and uh, art in a lot of ways. Um, however, uh, in order to push that message across multiple different platforms, we're gonna have to work with Xbox. We're working with Nintendo, Sony, uh, you know, any kind of PC platforms, and that's just the surface. We're not even talking about people who are funding us, people who are helping us spread the message, people who are inspiring us to write these stories. So ultimately, it's always a very strongly collaborative effort. Uh, and, and then you know, there's the aspect of just like people to hire partners to to work on the game together with. So there's always a very strong sense of just globalization with all the the products that we work on. That's awesome. And uh, just before we go, uh, anything that really excites you about the industry, whether it's a game or uh, technology that's advancing like AR, VR, what's exciting to you the most about the near future? So, so I think the, the, the correct answer here is Stadia. But honestly, I'm not all that uh, excited. You know, I, I guess great. Now I'm on, uh, I'm on record for to say that. But I'm not all that excited for technology in general. So, so um, Wells Fargo is a, is a company that I actually uh, uh, quote very often. Uh, Wells Fargo um, uh, CEOs uh, in in the past, not the current ones, uh, had a had an idea, uh, and they stick by this very very often. That is, uh, everything that they do is uh, due to a vision, due to a mission statement, something that they want to do uh, with the industry. And technology is only there to serve as a tool. And I feel like it's important for game developers, especially in this day and age, to not chase after tools. You know, I don't want to be the VR studio. I don't want to be the streaming studio. I want to be the studio that tells people stories, and I want to be the meaningful studio to really change the world. Whatever technology comes around that's able to help us spread that message, that's what's really important. So, so I guess I, that's kind of my leaving remark. What do you guys think of Z? He was uh, so the company Serenity Forge. They're in they're based in Colorado, um, and you know, they're, he's the founder CEO. He had some interesting perspectives about how technology. He's not all excited about that so mm -hmm. much as to like just being wherever the technology is. He just wants to tell stories and create his own stuff. So. I can, I can totally appreciate that, and I actually do love where his head's at with that in general. Uh, I will say that, you know, obviously Serenity Forge is probably up and coming. I haven't really heard of them before. I would really like to see what they have to turn out. But you look at companies, and of course this is a legacy behemoth like Nintendo, they always came with storytelling or, you know, great characters, legacy characters that everybody was just excited about, but they'd always utilize some kind of new technology. They didn't always hit their marks appropriately, but uh, they try to utilize whatever new technology is out there to try to 
find the edge on technology and be able to tell all their stories. Well, I think that's kind of what he was he was talking about. He they, he just cares about telling the stories, you know. Yeah, I I, I feel where he's kind of coming from in terms of like a lot of the games that I play, like I there's no stories, but they're the most popular ones. Like everybody, you talk to everybody, and they and they know these games, um, and they play these games. I feel the same way about uh, entertainment content. Like we're we're getting really really good. And then we're also getting really, really bad with like a lot of stuff that I see on YouTube that is popular on YouTube. Just absolutely shocks me. So I can see where he's coming from, but but you know, Aaron's right in that there's always been in the great with the greatest of the greats, there's always been a technological advancement for this. Yeah, sure. Uh, and we're gonna get into some technology things soon. Uh, but uh, up next is uh, actually Keisha Howard, and she's with Sugar Games. So I'm just gonna throw and let Keisha tell you what Sugar Games is. I've been a lifelong gamer. I've been a gamer since I was 10 years old. And I never knew that I could have a career in gaming. So like that's 25 years being a gamer, being a consumer, spending all my money on them Nintendo cartridges and stuff. And like I just never knew. It's not that anyone told me that I couldn't be in gaming. I just never saw myself represented. So anyways, fast forward, recession happens, and the job that I thought I wanted in real estate completely dissolved. That that job just went poof. So I just decided that I was going to try some different things, and I kind of fell into developing a community for underserved demographics in the video game space. So we're like one of the largest tech advocacy organizations in the Midwest, and how we do our tech advocacy is through media, events, and consulting, because companies want to have, they want to diversify their teams, and they want to make sure that their products are the most universally appealing products that they can. So we are like by the community, for the community. So we're like the underdogs. So the people that you're not hearing about and things that the perspectives that you don't commonly see, we make sure that we cover them. Because in Chicago, Chicago doesn't have the same infrastructure for video games that the coastal cities has. So like when you come to Chicago and you're just like, oh, I work in video games, people are like, what? That's so cool. So and like that's a very interesting sort of phenomenon that's happening. So uh, I started Sugar Gamers because I had four criteria for myself. Because I, I really wanted to, to find other gamers to play with and to connect with, but I was an adult by the time I like got into this space. So I wanted uh, people that I could meet with in Chicago. I wanted a diverse group like that included women and people of color. I wanted you know, uh, all types of games, so it wasn't gonna just be competitive. So like all those things were really important to me and I thought that a community like that would already exist considering how prolific video games has been in like our, our lives. Like regardless of people identify themselves as gamers or not, gamification affects everything that we do. Every app that we have has some element of, a, of gamification. So you know, just having a community and bringing those opportunities to the Midwest and like having support for those people who really, really want to get into the space but has not have the infrastructure or the opportunities. Something I've been passionate about for 10 years. And I'll put my money, my time, and my resources behind it so it is real. Like I'm not just here being like, oh, this is cute. Nah, money, time, resources. If you about that life, money, time, resources. So I'm really proud of what we accomplished. 
Our community is uh, just a wonderful group of diverse individuals from different backgrounds and, and has different perspectives. We, we range through all kinds of games. So like we play VR and, and we are making an AR app and we even play tabletop RPGs and of course, you know, all the, the games that you normally hear about, Nintendo and Microsoft and you know, all of it. And there's so much space in it for all of us, so much opportunity, and I just want to do my part to make sure that people know that. So what did you guys think of Keisha and what she's actually a part of this really interesting um, uh, sugar games that she started about helping that demogra- a demographic of, of minorities in the gaming industry, in the community? I love her idea, and I love her passion. I think she's awesome. Yeah, she and I just love her. I love everything that she said. I loved her attitude. I loved what she's doing. Um, keep going at it. I have nothing critical to say about anything. I hope. I hope. I wish her nothing but success. Yeah, and she was really great to meet and and chat with at the event. She hosted the adaptive controller uh, panel with the the Microsoft engineer, uh, which was super interesting. Leading out of that, I have a really interesting interview. Uh, who actually reached out to us before, and I see I see him. And I was like, that's the Tron guy. Uh, someone told me when I was like, oh, that's him. Because he came over when we were interviewing Keisha. And, and I, I saw him in the corner of my eye. I was like, that must be Tron. Uh, and it was. It was Roy Liu, uh, who is the head of business development for the Tron Foundation. Uh, and it was really funny. I just wanted, before I throw to this, how we met. I was like, oh, so w- before we got on the podcast and I just saw him, I was like, so what are you here for? And then he says immediately to me, what are you here for? I was like oh, well, you know, we're gaming-centric on my podcast. He's like, okay, then we're here for the same reasons. And I was like, great, let's go talk. <laughs> anyway, um, we all know Tron really well, right? We do. We've Yes. We've never had them on the show. Free Tesla. Um, anyway, here is actually, I thought, was a really a really interesting perspective and, and interesting because uh, Roy has a background in the gaming industry. So this is Roy Liu uh, with Tron Foundation. Why is Tron Foundation at this particular event? Oh yeah, totally. First, number one, for Tron, we're dedicated to make blockchain technology to mass market. And for us to go to the mass market, we realize we need to work with the consumer internet use cases, and gaming is the biggest one. Also for games, always going to be the leader or pioneers for any new technology. Talking about gaming, talking about mobile, talking about VR. And for these use cases, I think it's really relevant. For three, Gaming so far from what do we see is the use case, consumer use case that closest to money, closest to economy, by which is very relevant to the blockchain and a token economy design. Uh, that's super uh, important. Gaming business size is about a hundred billion dollar. That's the gaming business. But I would say it's fair to say thanks to Fortnite, thanks to Apex, it's fair to say it's a hundred billion business built on top of virtual goods. Which, by the definition of virtual goods, means it has no value. So it's a hundred billion market size of no value stuff, right? Now, if with the blockchain, you can bring these uh, virtual goods onto uh, a, a distributed ledger, providing tangible value. So we're not talking about hundred billion. We're talking about five hundred or six hundred times. So that's. That's why we're interested in this. It's not just because it's a good use case, but also we can see uh, like a super uh, promising uh, business potential in this industry. Is there anything you could tell me about your connection? Are you guys having talks with people in the gaming space? Or obviously you're here networking. I know that because I'm here networking too. But 
Is there anything you could tell us about what you might potentially be working on? Oh yeah, sure, totally. Number one, I'm in, I'm in front game industry myself. I've been in the game industry for 12 years. Um, I'm very familiar with the space, both China and the US, uh, west and east side of uh, business scope. Uh, for Tron, we've been working with several game developers already. And we've been announced through our channels, some of games like early stage games being running, these are blockchain games. Uh, we can see there is a, a lot of uh, developers enthusiasm, uh, enthusiastic about the blockchain technology, building this and that, and we're happy to support. So we also announced a, a, a Tron Arcade last November, which is a $100 million fund. We've been you know, dedicated to investing these, supporting these projects from now and then. I've been released, uh, released a few as well. But I would say in the next couple of weeks, you will see some big announcement coming up soon. Number one, uh, from Tron's portfolio, you will see over 100 million data active users. So everybody knows Tron acquired BitTorrent. BitTorrent, we acquired BitTorrent for $140 million, um, not only for their technology, but also for the user base, which is 25 million DAU and 100 mil MAU, which is big enough compared to everybody's fighting for user acquisition on mobile or client-based games right now, right? But I'm happy to announce by the end of Q2 this year, across Tron's portfolio, we're gonna have over somewhere 100 million data active users. And that's the range Tron's getting, that's for one. For two, we're gonna have huge AAA quality titles launching on Tron blockchain. So we're not just limited to the early stage blockchain games. I think that given the growing uh, community and user base, people are looking into something more exciting, uh, demanding into more production value, and we definitely see that demand and we react to it, and we've been working with some studios on that. You should be expecting some uh, announcement coming in a couple of weeks. Wow, okay, so Tron is definitely focused on gaming, and you know what, actually, uh, I could appreciate that as a gamer myself. You said you play video games, so let me ask you, what, what game are you playing right now? Oh, I'm not just playing, I make games. Like I. I made games for 12 years, so. I'm oh, anything we know? Oh, Plants vs. Zombie. I, I mean, that's my background, and I was early popcapper, and then uh, after I got acquired by EA, I moved on to uh, a startup called uh, Chartboost, doing mobile game advertising, and then I moved on to run two public game companies across US and China, and that's the next step for me is to go to Tron. So there you go, Daniel. We got Tron on the show. Yeah. And uh, no, hold on, before you criticize um, or say anything, I know that we haven't, and you know, I, I understand, but what I do and want to say is that at least Tron sent someone that has industry experience, he he was a developer in video games, True. Uh, he mentioned uh, he worked on Plants vs. Zombies and a bunch of other games, uh, so I credit that it's important if you are a big company like Tron, you send and hire the right people, so at least... Uh, Roy was a really cool guy and a really interesting guy to meet. So, well, here's the thing. He 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 said he no, he's definitely very knowledgeable and 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 everything. But these announcements that that Tron's going to be make that that Tron is making or that he's making about that AAA game, like I'm like always very like, what does he mean by that? Like well, I'm always a little bit curious because that's a big promise. That's a huge promise we'll that a AAA see. game is going to be on the blockchain because so far everybody else has told us that it can't be done. I don't think I. To be honest, who says it can be done? I think it's just really expensive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I've I've learned about other using Lightning Network to try to put 
some like MMO on on blockchain and stuff like that. But that's just saying that this duel or our transaction is done as a lightning transaction and then it gets lumped in together with the block. Again, that's not putting the game on the blockchain. That's just using the lightning network to, you know, memor uh, what's the term? Uh, Remember? Memorize? Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, whatever. Memento eyes. No. Uh, essentially, what it's doing is it's just logging everything that happens in the game. Uh, therefore, it stays on the blockchain somehow. So I also want to know what his thoughts of what a AAA game is versus what I'm thinking when I hear the term AAA game. I, I mean, I think we cheers on, on some beers and stuff. Uh, he said he would uh, love to do more of an in-depth with uh, with us. And awesome. I think we should. Definitely look forward um, to that. And then... Uh, Shout out to Steven Machunga, who I actually talked to uh, both days and got to know pretty well. Um, he's with Stack Up, which is a really cool company because he's an ex-military guy. And it's basically helping send, you know, Xboxes and all types of uh, gaming-centric cultured stuff to people that are out in wherever they might be uh, supporting troops to america internationally or domestically but mostly international yeah i mean when they're stationed out in some you know middle of nowhere that they need the downtime i think that's a great thing yeah so i am just going to throw and let uh steven kind of uh tell you a lot more about stack up i started doing it uh i was deployed forward to the military eight years in the army uh four years infantry four years intel when i was deployed forward uh i've always been a gamer gaming has been my life and no matter what i've been doing whenever i would take whatever uniform I was wearing off, I would come back home and be video gaming. And when I was overseas, you know, civilians would box up all kinds of doodads and knickknacks and toilet paper and white wipes, white wipes, wet wipes, there's the words, words are hard. Um, box it all up and send it over and it's like, okay, well this is great, but we have, Connex is full of this stuff, why don't they send something that guys actually want? And then my gunner, while I was in Iraq, got out, re-enlisted, and instantly sent to Afghanistan uh, when he got, we're talking like 2009 at this point. And he was like, hey, we're bored over here. You have some connections to the game industry now. Can you get us an Xbox or something? We're bored of tears over here. So I reached out to the, some of my contacts, and they, they delivered in spades, like way more than I thought. Like, I didn't even know this was a thing, but they're like, oh, yeah, we have charity. Like, we give stuff to, to charities. And I was like, okay, well, there's something here. And so I sent that stuff over to them. Suddenly we started, like, I got two more requests, and then I was like, all right, well, let's see. If, hey, we got another unit that's asking for help, and it just kind of snowballed from there. So that's, that's how this whole thing started. We've grown up a lot in the last couple of years. We've, uh, we now have four main missions. We, we have our supply crate program where we send video game consoles to you know, troops, U.S. and allied troops, not just U.S., but Canadian, New Zealand, anybody who puts in the uh, uniform in the NATO countries, you know, everybody. Uh, we send games and gear to them, you know, whether they're deployed to combat zones, covering in military hospitals, guys who are struggling back home, uh, need like outlets for PTSD, things like that. Uh, we have our air assault program where we take disabled or deserving veterans to various gaming events or uh, gaming geek culture events like Comic-Con or E3 and uh, studio tours. Uh, we have our volunteer programs uh, known as the Stacks, which are teams of local red shirts as we call them that get out and do good things with other veteran service organizations uh, whether it's gaming related or not and then lastly we have our overwatch program which is our uh, where the program we're working with the Center for Disease Control with uh, they they have a mission to help fight um, 
veteran suicide and they saw what we were doing in the game space and the the words that they used were you you are you are helping veterans where they feel good. like you're going to where they are as far as delivering services like so at three in the morning when they're playing destiny you know and they need somebody to talk to we're there we have 24 7 support on on our discord channel for folks that just need somebody to talk to or game with and uh, they are extremely interested in figuring out what that looks like so so yeah that's uh that's a the, the partnership with the cdc is really exciting uh for a guy who was just boxing up xboxes back in the day and sending them overseas it's just stackup.org it's that simple just head on over there if you want to help out or make a donation so what do you guys think of that i thought what steven is doing it's like he was like he said during the day i wear my military outfit but at night and when i went back home i want to play video games so he was a gamer everyone you know obviously there's tons of gamers in military but he didn't have access to it and he just sent a guy later abroad and then it all turned into a very niche thing and charity based what do you guys think of that um i mean i have no issues whatsoever with what he does and good on him i love what he's doing um and then just just gives me an opportunity to shout out to my brother love you miss you i know you're in kuwait you just left and you're probably landing today so see you in a couple months oh wow yeah. Sanity? Yeah, no, I mean, I, from the years I've played Xbox, I've uh, played with people that have, uh, you know, they're like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm I'm back home for three months, and then I'm going back out, and so I made friends with a few people that were stationed over there, and they brought their Xboxes with them, sometimes personally. They couldn't play online, of course, but at least they gave them some relief, and they talked about how amazing that was. I'm sure after a hard day of being shot at, you want to come back and uh, maybe just unwind with some games or keep your skills sharp on Black Ops or something, you know? Yeah. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was great meeting him, and I, I hope to uh, talk to Stephen more in the future. So yeah, so next up is actually someone that we met. We did a little project uh, with Crypto Cake with uh, Miko. We kind of interviewed him on a pilot we shot, uh, and he talked about uh, what he was doing. He's uh, It's Miko Matsumura, general partner at Gummy Ventures and co-founder of Evercoin, uh, was on the panel, Blockchain Comes to Games. So here's Miko. Yeah, so Dean really wants me to help the gaming community actually understand blockchain. Why is it important? Why should I care about it? Like, you know, should I ignore it? Should I get into it? Like, what is what is it? So I think there's two major layers, right? I think that the layer that's economically important to the game community is the emergence of game platforms that are crypto-powered, right? And it's really just the difference between a community that's incentivized versus a community that's not incentivized, right? So when, when you think about the emergence of community, what people know in gaming is they know that in-game economies and game economics are actually broken. They know they're broken. And what, what's happened in game economies is free-to-play is dominant, right? I mean, you know, Jackson told me this morning, he's like, you know, I don't want pay games because most of my friends can't afford to play those, and so I don't end up being able to play with my friends, so I don't play those games. Boom! Free-to-play in a nutshell. Beautifully explained. So game economics themselves are broken, right? So the emergence of these dominant crypto power platforms are going to be a force to reckon with in gaming, right? Because it's incentivized. I think the second thing I'd love to talk about is blockchain and what are the implications of blockchain for the gaming community. That's kind of a whole other topic. Oh, yeah, I know. It's it's deep. And I think as our podcast, because we're crypto gaming centric, we're trying to bridge the gap. But I think there's something about gamers in this industry where they understand trading items they understand skins right really when we think about blockchain what is blockchain at its heart and what it is is it's a history recording device 
And it's also the producer of digital scarcity, right? And that actually is very meaningful from the perspective of establishing tribal communication, right? In a sense, an in-game item is almost like a tattoo in the sense that it shows your authenticity, your affiliation with the tribe, and your connectedness to the, the source, to the authentic source of something. Because I think in digital, everyone is completely like a clone. Like if you look at World of Warcraft, like every single person is having the same experience and every single person in a certain class has a certain epic item. And it's like, how epic is that freaking item? It's not very epic, you know, because every single game player has the exact same item. Super boring, super uninteresting, right? So I think what's happening with the younger generation is that there's this desire to show your tribal affiliation and the idea that you can do it by owning a piece of history, that you can own something that's verifiably unique and authentic in the world, right? I think is actually something. So in a way it's close to tattooing, you know, and it's but it, if you look at something like what happened in Fortnite with the dance moves, those are not unique and they're not blockchain and they're not anything at all, but what they are are their social expression, right? So you're trying to socially communicate in game and you're really trying to show something about who you are, right? So it's expression. And I think we're reaching the point where game platforms can provide forms of uh, expression. And I think that that's becoming increasingly valuable in a world of commodity, in a world of you know being really kind of common, feeling very common and, and very commoditized. So that was Miko, really nice guy. Also, he brought his son, which was kind of cool because there was video games to play. He, I actually interviewed him on that and asked him about Fortnite. And he, his son had an interesting perspective. Um, and he, you know, he did a panel where, you know, like he said, he's just kind of trying to help gamers, you know, bridging the gap. And that was his his purpose of going to Gamesbeat to be a part of that panel. Uh, and now, leading into uh, Charles Hudson, who I watched a panel. Uh, with him and they talked about investing into video games and I thought it was super interesting and I wanted to get someone from that panel and Charles was was hanging out right after and I asked him if I could talk to him so here's Charles so we invest in early stage startup companies uh, we'll invest a check of about 250k per company about 20 to 30 times per year okay and then what let, let me ask you also we're here at 2-Bit Circus how important is this event for you guys it's really important. I took a few years off from investing in games, and then in the last few years, I've just seen a lot more activity, so I really wanted to be here to just learn more about what people are building and working on. That's awesome. So back to this, you know, what you spoke about, you're on the panel up there about investing in games and so forth. You mentioned audio games, and I need to talk to you about that. Tell me the importance of this. It's, I think it's untapped, right? So uh, I'd like to dig into that a little bit deeper. Well, I think it's really interesting. You know, we've got one investment in a voice-driven games company called DriveTime. Actually, the founder is right over there. <laughs> I got interested in this space. I met the guys from a company called Volley that were building these really interesting Alexa voice-driven games. And I couldn't believe the engagement until I started playing with the experiences. Then I said, oh, I get it. This is a different kind of entertainment experience. It's hands-free and it's voice-driven. And the kinds of storytelling and voice-driven games you can build are just different than what you'd build, and the skills are different than trying to move pixels around on a screen. It's all, it's all voice driven. So, do you have like a like what's an example of a game? Uh, like, is it an RPG kind of voice RPG, or what type of game is it? I've seen a handful of choose your own adventure games. The Drive Time folks have done something in trivia. I think this is an untapped genre. I think there are many kinds of games that could be built that'd be a lot of fun. I'm waiting for someone to build a really awesome voice driven RPG. I think that would be a lot of fun. 
there's got to be a good one out there. And I think there's more of these passive speakers, whether it's Google Home or Alexa, out there. And so I think people are just getting more comfortable with voice interfaces, which I think means the bar for voice gaming is going down because people are already engaging with devices in their home this way. Okay, so I wanted to interview Charles because on the panel they asked, what are interesting new kind of technologies in gaming that you might be looking at? And Charles talked about audio video games, which are like, because of the advent of Alexa, all these crazy audio things, there's a new untapped market for video game, audio video games. And I was fascinated because I see the untappedness and I was kind of, when I was watching the panel, I was like, that's super interesting. And lucky me, because Charles told me that the guy that is making one of the games called Drive Time that is out and you can actually play, it's a very early game that they created that's uh, considered an audio game. I have uh, Nick with Drive Time, and he uh, will explain pretty much what they're developing, what they have developed. Yeah, I mean, you say untapped. I say never. I don't know who thought of it. This I think it's idea. a great idea. Imagine, I mean, what about a role-playing voice audio game? Like that would be so cool. There's there's text-based. Why not audio-based? Yeah, I mean, I see the potential, and of course, with drive time, it makes me think I can play it while driving, which it, it picks my interest even more. But uh, yeah, untapped is definitely the word because my mind races to all the possibilities, but the functionality and enjoyability—that's uh, what I'd really like to learn about. Yeah, uh, and play. it's Let's it's. I just want to. It's Nico, with, uh, founder and CEO of Drive Time. Here he is. Yeah, we uh, make uh, voice games for the driver of the car. We're the world's first and only ones to do so. Um, basically, use uh, speech recognition software to be, to allow you to use your voice as the controller in uh, what is now a uh, daily trivia show, you know, basically a game show that you play while you drive to and from work. I only knew that because I spoke to Charles, <laughs> and he told me to talk to you uh, because I am fascinated by this untapped market. How untapped is it? It is incredibly untapped. Uh, the way we see it is right now you've got 110 million Americans who commute to and from work by themselves every single day. Uh, two and a half billion hours are spent in the car uh, on this daily commute, which is the ultimate daily habit. And all you got right now is passive audio consumption. You got Sirius XM and radio and you know, audio books and podcasts and streaming music, but they're all passive. It's all one-way audio. And so what we're doing is we're saying, hey, what about if we make it interactive, two-way audio, so you actually have a, you know, something to do while you're driving as opposed to just consuming audio. And uh, so far, it's uh, working really, really well. It's resonating very strongly with our target audience of basically, you know, suburban commuter drivers who are, you know, who've got that daily commute to and from uh, the suburbs into the city or to their offices. Well, I'm going to tell you, I live in L.A. This is a great city. I get st I've been stuck in the 405 for two hours to go 10 miles. So a game, like if I could play, say, any type of game and do a voice recognition, like say it's an RPG I, I would love to do a voice recognition RPG. Is that something that is, is people are doing and thinking about? Uh, I don't know if they're thinking about it, but absolutely. It. Absolutely. No, we are thinking about it. Um, so our, our vision is really to become the interactive SiriusXM. Uh, you know, SiriusXM, of course, is for the car. Um, they have 200 different channels of different kinds of content, everything from, you know, talk radio to music to political to religious to Howard Stern, the shock jock. Um, so our vision is very similar to that. Is, you know, we're starting with trivia because it's a really easy kind of concept to understand and who doesn't love trivia, right? I was just going to ask you that. Who doesn't love trivia? Exactly. <laughs> so we're starting with that, but we have a, a very grand vision for, you know, a multi-channel experience where you're playing trivia, you're, you know, naming that tune, maybe you've got a dungeon crawler, you know, maybe you've got an RPG of some kind. Uh, you know, the, the sky's interactive fiction, choose your own adventure. I mean, the sky's the limit in terms of what kinds of, of, of content uh, work in this kind of interactive format in an audio-only environment. And uh, where can we find all this, 
you know, shout us out, social medias, all that stuff. Yeah, so thanks for asking. Yeah, it's uh, drivetime.fm is our is our URL. You can download us on the App Store, uh, both you know uh, iOS and, and Android. Uh, just search for Drive Time or play games while you drive. That's our tagline. We totally own that one, um, and not surprisingly. And look for the uh, the orange winking car icon. That's Miles. Uh, he's our mascot, and he's going to give you miles of smiles while you're commuting to and from work. So that was Nico with actual Drive Time. I recommend please download Drive Time. Try it out. Try it out. I am trying it right now, and it's a trivia game for those of you because. Yep. Uh, and it, I love trivia games. So voice activated trivia. This game. makes more sense now in terms of I was thinking, how am I going to control Mario by audio, yeah. and focus on that while driving? Well, I I told Nico there is also like I think it's kind of untapped in a lot of ways, and that you know people love podcasting, and I think that the podcast audience would enjoy audio games. I think I think that's the right avenue for like audio games because you know a lot of podcasts are purely audio, like ours at times. And most of the time. Uh, so, Sanity, what did you think of uh, audio games as a gamer? Uh, well, the fact that it's trivia does relieve me a little bit. I was thinking of a choose-your-own-adventure where I'm like, I'm thinking about, oh, do I save the maiden or That's slay the possible, dragon? That's possible, though. It is, but I also don't want to be too distracted while driving if I'm thinking now, okay. of the imagery in my head. <laughs> what about if you're home just cooking and you want to do something instead of listening, you could actually play an RPG while you're cutting carrots and like doing... Our As a medium, I think that's totally There's worth our time to explore. Absolutely, yes. yeah. Um, but yeah, again, please check out Drive Time. But uh, moving on is to something really interesting is uh, I, they, I turned out they had an off-site demo and I didn't really know exactly what was going on. Like I had no idea. I just saw the signs and I was like, I start walking and I, as I'm walking, I saw this guy's like, are you going to the tech demo? And, uh, you know, we walked over and uh, I got the turns out the guy I was with is the main IT guy for South Park Studios. And he worked on like he said he started working like literally halfway through the first season of South Park. Oh, man. So on the walk there, we had an interesting, great conversation, of course. Uh, and we go into this warehouse. It was like off campus. Um, and I we walk into this like very large warehouse with obviously just lots of boxes and technology and then I as I walked up I saw these huge monitors and if you saw on our Instagram there were like these this video of a gentleman named John Underkoffler which I'll get to in a second because this guy is actually super well-known scientist uh, technology advancer he's with Oblong Industries so I walked into Minority Report and then it turns out that this is the guy that worked with Steven Spielberg to help him visualize 50 years in the future on technology that he's now working on. Oh, my God. And I was like, wait a minute. So this is Minority Report? And they're like, <laughs> correct. I was like, wow. And it turns out awesome. They, they, they uh, got with GameSpeed and they decided to be open the doors to their, their, their work environment what was really cool is they had like i don't know if they were coders but they had a little greenhouse and all like the coders and everyone were just chilling in this like greenhouse inside of the place it was very like wow this is like technology company this is it yeah i like i like it i know you have a little video of this one too yeah at some point but that's awesome but i had pete hawks who uh pretty much uh was actually super super intelligent and really intriguing because he kind of showed me everything when I arrived. Uh, he's the director of interaction design. So here's Pete. Uh, our mission is to realize a new form of computing and uh, user interface design. So for decades, we've been kind of building on the same models. Uh, these are fascinating things from the Macintosh to the iPhone to everything that we're doing 
Uh, today we want to rethink uh, computing in human terms and on human terms. Uh, fundamentally that means uh, rebuilding from scratch uh, both hardware and software and design architectures that prioritize multi-user experiences in space. These are interfaces that are fundamentally uh, architectural. That means that pixels inhabit space the way that uh, physical objects do. We work with a uh, you know, an origin of zero, zero, zero in the middle of the room. And our entire interface is described from that point. And we describe everything in millimeters. And we've built uh, the technical capabilities of uh, describing interfaces that cross machine boundaries, meaning they're, you know, part of the interface might live on a Windows machine, the other part is on a series of Unix uh, servers. Uh, and a coordinated graphic system where all of the displays uh, basically display information uh, from from that point of view. And uh, I'm here in your warehouse, and I'm looking at the surround. And I'm going to say because it is connected, it's very minority report. And when I walked in here, that's what I said. But apparently, you guys are connected to that. And I just want to touch on that because it was a part of your talk. Um, that I I'm actually fascinated because I'm from the entertainment industry. It's just like the motivation from actual uh, fictional science fiction to realism uh, where you guys are, you guys actually helped Steven Spielberg or your colleagues did uh, kind of see a future, what, 50, what was the 50 years ahead in Minority Report? So could you just uh, t uh, briefly mention how, what they spoke about? Sure, sure. So uh, in this case... Um Minority Report uh, was a vision of the future, 2054. Alex McDowell, the production designer on the film, uh, put together a team of actual uh, researchers and scientists, including our CEO, uh, John Underkoffler, who at the time was uh, developing these same user interfaces uh, at the Media Lab at MIT. And so they realized this, this version of the future um, in the film where there were no, mi no mice, no keyboards. Uh, and what they built was a, a purely gestural uh, system that navigated complex uh, sets of data rapidly. Um, these became basically the you know, early prototypes for what Oblong Industries now creates uh, in reality. I, something we mentioned in the talk is that Minority Report, it was mass off. Now, Ready Player One, it's back to immersive mass on. And you're talking about Steven Spielberg was like, what's the future going to look like in 50 years? But now he does this. But it's based on literature. So that's another thing. Um, and in the, in the Ready Part of One book, they're immersive. So what do you think of the future? Is it less immersive where we are free to move around in the space? Because that's what you guys are doing. That's the future. Is that more of a realistic future? Yeah, I think the realistic future, and it's, we're, we're really just we're hitting the limitations of technology. The reason that you sit in a chair with that mask on is because that's where we're at. You look at uh, forward-thinking companies in the VR space like The Void. Mm -hmm. They're doing optically tracked mobile VR. Um, these are not uh, new experiments. They've you know, been simulating uh, war, war game environments in the government uh, for, for years now. But the, the future is definitely, I think, if anything, it's, it will be more grounded in reality and tangible environments. Uh, we have a long, long ways to go before the tactility of a virtual environment is going to make any sense. Um, so I think we'll see a lot more interfaces that keep you grounded in the world. Um, 
you know the early the early etchings of this are things like Pokemon Go, all right. I mean, it's it's a it's something that keeps you in the world, but takes advantage of all that computing power of the connected nature uh, of of the web and of multiplayer games, uh, but uh, explores new new ground in in that space. Out of the entire venture beat, uh, not only was it amazing to meet all these people, crypto gaming, mostly gaming, and C panels. I am so glad I accidentally decided to walk over with the South Park guy to this Oblong Industries and meet, because uh, I am I'm a futurist. I believe I believe in lots of ways. I call myself a futurist because I always see three steps ahead. And what John and Pete are doing at Oblong are they're literally saying we got to look outside of the box and progress humanity on human terms and really think about how does technology advance the right way for us. So do you guys kind of understand I, what they were getting? I at? loved what they were talking about. I I, I want to I want to see the st- I want to see it. They said that they might be able to invite us back. I would love to go back. Then yes. Um yeah, just even the little video that I saw, it's uh that's the kind of future stuff that I want people thinking about. This is the outside of the box thing where it's like don't make everything smaller and don't make everything so oversimplified. He's like, "No, people that need data and need access to data, this is what he's giving them, tools and 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 whenever people focus technology on on function first, as far as like medicine, technology, astrology, uh, uh, all of those things, that's when it progresses. Yes. This, later we turn it into games, which is when I enjoy it. Yeah. So uh, and then lastly, which all you cryptomaniacs out there will know, this is Brock Pierce, first time on the Coin Boys podcast, and I got to talk to him in person. Obviously, um, I was like one of the only crypto. I was the only crypto podcast there. So uh, I had a long conversation not only with uh, Brock, but his brother, uh, a few other people that were in his camp that were really cool. Uh, shout out to Kai Primo. Uh, and uh, and the twins, the Cyber Twins were there. Uh, oh, Cybercode Twins. The Cybercode yeah. Twins were there. Uh, I was actually sitting in the Brock conference. And I look over and there's Kai Primo with her camera going, if you know from our show, like she shot our recent, which was great, the uh, CIS stuff of us three. Uh, but there she was, and I like texted her. I was like, "Hey, I see you over there." Was she surprised to see you there? Uh, no, no. I think the Cyber Twins had actually told her that I was there. But are you ever surprised to see me at a gaming event? I don't know. No. Um, shout out. Good point. And also shout out to Brecky von Bitcoin. All right. Well, anyway, here's uh, Brock Pierce at uh, Gamespeed. Always glad to be at gaming events. I mean, this is kind of like a former life, but still relevant and present to the current one. I guess I overheard that you are kind of out of gaming and, and more 100% into blockchain. Uh, but how important are gaming events for crypto? Because I feel like gamers in general understand crypto because you were talking about EverQuest. I was playing EverQuest. I've been trading items my whole life, just like you. So how important is it, though, for gamers? Well, I mean, gamers understand that just because something is intangible doesn't mean it doesn't have value. I mean, it's You learn this if you've played any of these games, which is why China and South Korea, which is the biggest online gaming markets in the world where they buy and sell and trade game currencies, are the biggest crypto markets in the world. That's not a coincidence. There's a direct correlation between the gaming community and the crypto community. And I guess I have another question because I have to bring this up because hearing you talk about a decentralized uh, possible EverQuest is unbelievable to me. I mean, and you said that just came in your head just on the stage? Yeah, I was, well, I was asked when I, I love 
but I get like actively involved because I mean, I'm an entrepreneur or builder more than I am anything else. And it's like, what would it take for me to want to like really go get involved in like making a game thing, like building a game company? It would be something like that. I, I would do that out of nostalgia for, uh, for nostalgic reasons, right? So let's talk about current. What, what's in the near future for you? What is exciting to look forward to right now? What's exciting? Uh, for your world. Oh, uh, I mean, so much. I mean, the main thing is I'm living in Puerto Rico. I moved down there immediately following the hurricane, you know, seeing how I could make a positive impact in a place in need. About a thousand of us have moved down there over the course of the last year and a half. It's become an incredible hub for the blockchain and crypto community. A startup ecosystem has emerged down there. Uh, if you haven't been down there, it's worth coming to check out. It's also interesting because most people don't know this. It's the only place a U.S. citizen can live and pay no federal taxes. You don't pay tax. So that's a good place for you to be. I mean, you know, you're a wealthy guy. Uh, but I think that's awesome because you, you talked about helping communities that need it. So Puerto Rico is a community in American territory. And I think that's a good spot for you to go. Um, is there anything internationally you're working on? I know you were talking about it. you were involved in all these Korean trading. I, I actually didn't even really know as far deep you were. But anything international besides in the America area you're dealing with in crypto? I mean, I do things all over the planet. I'm, I've started <laughs> more companies than I can count. I mean, I've invested in or advised over 100 of them. So, yeah, I'm doing stuff the whole planet over from every part of Asia to Africa to Latin America. I mean, there's no part of the planet other than like the North and South Poles, Antarctica. I mean, I'm doing something more or less everywhere. Um, but the places I'm most interested in right now, are the Philippines I'm very excited about. We're seeing the beginning of mass adoption of cryptocurrency there. Over 5% of the population now has a crypto wallet, uh, primarily through coins.ph. Um, I, I'm really excited about what Akon is doing in Africa right now. Um, big things happening in Venezuela, but very horrific circumstances driving it. Stuff like what we're seeing in Venezuela, which you're seeing crypto adoption there, but for all the under the, the worst of circumstances. So uh, not, not exciting, but uh, a reason to get engaged and help. So we all know Brock, uh, and uh, I, I will. I'm, I'm shocked. The A-Coin thing, for somebody to legitimize it a little bit, I'm like, hey, I don't know. Maybe it, it's a it, good I want to know what he knows about that. Because, I mean, I don't know if I would talk to Akon himself, because he, he admittedly said that he doesn't know too I, much about it, but that's interesting. I think Brock is, you could tell the direction he's going. Like, first of all, he's in Puerto Rico now, officially living there. But he's also looking into countries like the Philippines, because, you know, honestly, to be honest, like, you might be able to get more adoption through these smaller countries than you will in America anytime soon. So he's looking at, it sounds like he's looking into, like, helping countries kind of use that to adopt. What do you guys think of that? I think that's, uh, I actually think that's a great idea. And that's why Binance did their whole thing in Uganda and, uh, you know, and then... Uh, and Wakanda? <laughs> no. Uh, that's what Akon wants to create. He wants right. to create Wakanda with Acoin. <laughs> which, honestly, I want to hear more about it. I know Daniel's scoffing and shaking his head, but I actually want to see how that... If, if Akon really wants to inject money into this area to kind of, you know, make them more, give them better access to technology and, and, and you know, training and all this kind of stuff and education just in general, I think it's a fantastic idea. And that could make Acoin become more stable than their regional, regional currency. Right. So, 
All right. I mean, listen, I agree with I agree with that. And and but you know, when you when you when he even first said it, you didn't, you couldn't take him seriously. Like I honestly thought the project dropped, but this is the first time that I'm hearing of it. And I know it's not what Brock intended on and and, it's, you know, and I know that's what I'm, I'm focusing on just for some reason. But um it, it you know, Brock uh, there's a, everybody who has their own opinions on them, and, and and you know, they're right. They have the right to, but um, he is a, he is a public figure in the space, and so far I haven't heard, I haven't had anything, um, go awry with what he's said. So far I haven't I haven't been able to put down anything that he's actually said. So for uh, that's a shock to me. So it's it's good to hear. Well, something. also it's good to have him on our show and be able to actually be us talking to him. So. Uh, I had a good conversation with him afterwards. Um, never met the guy. I always saw him in person. Uh, his his panel was excellent. They did ask him first. Like the the speaker was really funny. Dean, who's the one of the main guys at uh, VentureBeat or that sets up the Games Beat Summit, he goes, uh, "Should we start with Mighty Ducks?" Oh, but they didn't say anything after that. They went right. You will never escape for five hundred, Alex. <laughs> it was. It was. Yes, it was funny that he he said he got a good laugh. I don't. Know, I think Brock thought it was funny. I think he's a good sport about it. Yeah. So he was a good sport. Um, and you know, hey, I felt like for an event that was primarily gaming, I was able to uh, mix in some crypto stuff. I mean, Brock Pierce of all yeah, people. Yeah, it's been all. It's been. This was an amazing uh, journey. Place. Guys, yeah, we 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 went through it together. <laughs> You guys don't have to listen to this episode. Okay. I'm listening to it twice. Uh, anyway, Daniel, where can they find us? They can find us at thecoinboys.com. You can email us. You can tweet us. Where can they tweet us at? Uh, the Coin Boys Podcast, and it's also our Instagram account, same handle. And you can also call us, 424-372-7437, just in case you forgot. And Aaron, what do you got? What do you got? All I got is that that was a great uh, series of interviews, and I hope it sets up some more coming up. So I think it's uh, it's really exciting. More technology, you, more gaming, more crypto. All handles, one. please. Handles. Oh. You can find me, Aaron, at Sanity Crypto on Twitter. Um, at DGutierrez84 on Twitter. Producer, by the way. Producer BTW. But I do want to give a final thank you. Shout out to VentureBeat uh, for allowing us to do uh, the media thing there. And I want to shout out the, anyone that helped set up the GameSpeed event and all the people I met. So we'll see you guys next week. Peace.